0: This is Angela Benoit, host of the Continuing Education Series, a podcast we produce as a benefit for the members of the French Language Division and those interested in becoming members. This series strives to offer educational content about the craft of French to English and English to French Translation and about our division. Today's episode is about genealogy, and here with me today to discuss this topic is genealogist and genealogy translator Bryna O'Sullivan. Welcome, Bruna and thank you for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. Now, Bruna, could you please tell us a little bit how you got into the niche field of genealogy translation and who do genealogy translators typically work for?
1: Okay, so I have a little bit of an unusual background. I actually was trained as a historian, but I started taking French in elementary school. Mm -hmm. I went through with it in college because I decided I wanted to stick working on it And over time I've become more and more comfortable with French. And when I started working as a genealogist, I realized that I could merge my two interest fields. So I do a lot of work in French language genealogy, but also in French to English genealogical translating.
0: Very cool. How long have you been uh, translating then?
1: Um, Actively translating about five years.
0: Very, very cool. Now, as a mainstream translator, and in in my case, marketing, um, the first thing that comes to mind when I think about genealogy is handwriting. Now, how how do you go about learning to read handwriting that has basically come to us um, through time? And what is the impact of handwriting on your work?
1: Well, handwriting, as most translators would tell you, is the first step to understanding the document. And oftentimes, Mm -hmm. that's why I get a document brought to me is because the genealogists reading the document can't run it through a machine translator. They can't figure out the handwriting well enough to do that. Okay. Uh, in my particular case, I've taken a number of courses in paleography. Paleography is the study of handwriting. Mine hmm. have mostly been in English, so it's required a little bit of transition to learn to bring them into French.
0: Okay, also. So you've-
1: Oh, sorry, go ahead. (laughs) Also, one of the advantages is the more work you do, the more familiar you become with it. So I've read a lot of –
0: I apologize. (laughs) No, that's okay. I think we have a little delay on the line, but that's okay. We'll, we'll, We'll work with it.
1: I was just going to say I have most experience reading 19th century documents. So over time, I've become more and more familiar with the handwriting that was used in that period.
0: Okay, okay. And um, so you were mentioning there were differences between handwriting in English and handwriting in French. Uh, Could you tell us about one such difference? There are slight differences (coughs) – I apologize, I have a dog
1: in the background – in wording structure. (laughs) And of course, the accenting in French has not made its way into English. That's probably the biggest difference between the two.
0: Very, very interesting. Um, Now, you were mentioning record structure a moment ago, and while preparing this episode, um, Brina actually shared with me um, a record that comes from Quebec. Could you tell us about the most important differences in record structure uh, for North American records and how they must be handled in translation?
1: Well, the one thing to be aware of, especially with records in French Canada, specifically Quebec, is Mm -hmm. that The provincial government in Quebec used the church as the primary means of vital record keeping well into the 1990s. And because of that, the church had a very specific formula that they followed. So if you don't follow that formula correctly in your translating, you misinterpret some of the comments. For example, the phrase natural child in a church Mm -hmm. record is an indication that the child is illegitimate. If you chose to translate that slightly differently, you've now missed that context.
0: Oh, wow. Okay, whereas for us, natural child, we would just think somebody who was born through natural means as opposed to, well, I don't know. But yeah, that's that's a really good thing to know. Yes,
1: ironically, the opposite version is legitimate child. So a typical case would list legitimate child, and the illegitimate child would be natural, But as an English speaker, I can tell you my tendency would not be to translate that as illegitimate child.
0: No, absolutely not. I would have never thought about that either. Oh, very cool. Um, So where do these records come from? You mentioned that some of your clients need some help deciphering them, understanding their contents, understanding their structure. But how are they acquired? Clients come kind of in two groups when they work with me. The first group is
1: genealogists, usually amateurs, who are not comfortable working on their own family tree. So they Mm -hmm. will hire me to do the research for them. In those cases, I rely on a number of websites for out-of-country records. Ancestry Mm -hmm. is probably the best known. They do have a Canadian branch, which includes the Druin Collection, which is primarily copies of Quebec's church records. FamilySearch.org, which is run by the Family History Library, uh, the outreach branch of the Church of Latter-day Saints, is mm-hmm. well known for covering other French-speaking re- regions. I personally do a lot of research in Luxembourg. They are the best resource within the U.S. for Luxembourg research.
0: FamilyResearch.org, right? FamilySearch.org. Okay, FamilySearch.org, awesome. And these are resources that everybody could use. If I wanted to go and research my family, I can open an account there and start trying to figure out using my name or details uh, what my genealogy tree could be, correct? Exactly. Ancestry is a fee per service, so they do require you to take out a subscription.
1: FamilySearch is completely free.
0: Cool, very cool. Uh, Now, we've talked about Quebec, I imagine that genealogy practices and records would vary tremendously from one country or one continent to the next. Um, And you mentioned Luxembourg as well, actually. Could you tell us a little bit about the differences between records in North America and records in Europe?
1: Well, ironically, within French-speaking countries, they're fairly similar. And the reason mm -hmm. for that is that the French government in 1792 which is about 100 years sooner than most of the English-speaking countries, decreed the keeping of what Americans call vital records. Europeans tend to call it civil registration. Mm -hmm. And at that point, they set out a form that had to be followed in every birth, death, and marriage. So a French translator can fairly easily follow vital records or civil registration through most of the French-speaking countries. That is not true in the case of English-speaking countries.
0: English-speaking countries tend to
1: vary quite widely.
0: Okay, okay. And uh, I actually have a follow-up question that we hadn't planned on during the preparation of this episode. So I'm sorry for springing this one on you. Um, But uh, how can I put this? Actually, I'll come back to that idea uh, in a moment at the end of the episode. Sorry about that. Uh, Can we turn to terminology for uh, the next few moments? Can you tell us some of the interesting terms you'd like to share with our listeners? Well,
1: one of the biggest
0: translation
1: issues I've been finding lately is a mix of non-standardized spelling Mm -hmm. and older terms. So I just pulled – a number of terms from a record I've been working on recently, which is the 1843 census of Niederhaven in Luxembourg. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. And one
1: of the terms that I stumbled on that was kind of interesting was marchand de planche.
0: Marchand de planche. Mm -hmm. Yes.
1: And if you try to run that through Mm -hmm. a dictionary, you will not find it. (laughs) It sounds like somebody who sells flooring? It is exactly that. It's lumber merchant. But of course, the contemporary term is marchand de plancher, so the okay. R is missing.
0: Oh, okay. All right. That one, yeah, interesting. Very cool.
1: Another one that threw me initially, and I actually had to go look at an, a list of previous occupations, was the term charon, mm-hmm. which is actually wheelwright. Most English Xau. speakers will not recognize wheelwright because it hasn't been around since we stopped using carriages.
0: Okay. I wouldn't even recognize Shell either, or maybe after thinking about it for a moment. Yes, it's someone that maintains the carriage. So it's a bit of a challenge for
1: most of us.
0: (laughs) Interesting. Um, What is the strangest term you've ever encountered if something comes to mind?
1: Oh, the strangest term I've encountered we were actually planning to discuss in preparing this episode a little bit later, which was the Uh, term Seigneur. And
0: I know okay. you wanted to talk about it in more detail <laughs> just around, but Ben, here. Okay, let's, let's keep that for the last question and go back to the unplanned one, which I um, kind of stumbled on but not remembered, so apologies for that. Um, you mentioned uh, that the church was in charge of keeping records in most Francophone countries, and I was curious as to when this responsibility ended for the church and when it was transferred to the state. It's a little little bit
1: complicated. The Catholic Church started keeping records in Francophone countries quite early. Mm -hmm. Um, In the decree of 1792, that was transferred to the civil government in countries that were still under the control of France. So anywhere in the French Empire, and at that point, of course, Quebec was no longer under the control of France. Right. So right. Quebec continued to use that system into the 1990s. Okay. But in Luxembourg, for example, they instituted the civil registration program in about mm-hmm. 1795 to 98, matching with the military advances of the French Empire.
0: Oh, okay. Okay, interesting. Um, and it's, it's well, we're going to talk about this in in our next question, but a lot of the way that records were formulated back then, I've noticed when looking at the records you shared with me, and we'll talk about it in a minute, some of the things still exist in contemporary um, in in, in Europe uh, today. Now, let's talk about this record. Uh, For today's episode, uh, Brenda shared with me a 19th century record um, that documents a marriage that took place in her family. And we will make uh, this record available on the French Language Division website so that our listeners can take a look. Uh, Brenna kindly provided a transcription because I couldn't read it at all. Um, the first thing that I noticed was the presence of Après la publication d'un bon. Now, the bon still exists in France today. Um, one was published for my brother's ma- for my brother and sister-in-law's wedding and, and for mine. Uh, now, in this record, Brenna, can you tell us what the bon refers to?
1: It is very similar to how this, the bons or bands in English are used in modern mm-hmm. France. They had to be published or read in the church community, varying Mm -hmm. on the kind of marriage you wanted, usually one to two times before the actual date of marriage. This particular record, they had it read as part of the sermon.
0: Okay. So the church used to take care of this, knowing that today La Mairie publishes them generally on a bulletin board um, in the public spaces of the town hall. Uh, now, the bride's lineage in this record is Marie-Anne Laflèche, fille mineure de Louis Laflèche, écuyer, co-seigneur du Fief Saint-Maurice, et de Marie-Anne Goubin Boisvert. I don't know, actually, if I should say Boisvert or Boisvert. Um, Brina, can you tell us about this?
1: Well, Actually, you've hit on about three complications right there. Okay. Uh, the term- Boisvert, uh, forgive my accenting, as I said in passive American, is actually a deep name. Now, a deep okay. name is a, re- a name that is used in Quebec to describe a specific family. So that mm-hmm. has been added onto the original family name. Now, that becomes okay. important in explaining the father's position. The father's mm-hmm. position is listed as co and that was one of the stranger terms I'd seen it does not appear in a dictionary anywhere okay. I was the question to a number of genealogists no one recognized the term And then I started looking at seigneurial records well the seigneurie system or the seigneurial system in Quebec was used into the 1850s it's somewhat of a match to the initial feudal system in France Okay The major difference is well, you inherited your title in France, you could buy your title in Quebec, which oh. meant it also did not have to be passed down to, two cho- to a single child. In this right. case, it was passed down to two children. So the term co-signor right. refers to the fact that there are actually two people who have inherited that set of seignorial rights.
0: Okay, so it's kind of an indivision of a title, essentially.
1: It is, and I had to do a little bit of extra research to discover this and actually discovered it by looking at the wife's family name because it was rights inherited through the son-in-law.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Quite complex. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so this is why you need a special genealogy translator for these types of records because anybody else would never figure that out.
1: It's a mix. And we, we've dealt with this often in genealogy. Genealogical translation is a mix of language knowledge mm-hmm. and source knowledge, a recognition of what you're doing with a specific time period in text.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, now, can you tell us about, that? this one sounded completely strange to me, Un empêchement de consanguinité de quatrième au quatrième degré. Now, I understand what they mean by empêchement de consanguinité. We're making sure that people who are too close to one another in the family tree aren't getting married. But de quatrième au quatrième degré?
1: Yes, that actually means that they have a third great-grandparent in common.
0: So, third great-grandparent,
1: Those degrees are indications of the common relationship between the two.
0: Okay. Okay, so they're vaguely related, but it's not close enough to prevent them from getting married. Right, but it
1: is close enough that they required a dispensation from the church, and that's why it's noted in the document. All right, so the church is giving their consent in this case. Yes, they had to get special permission, and it's usually a sign that the family had a bit of money because you often had to petition the bishop to do that.
0: Okay, which might not be easy for more modest families. Wow, very, very interesting stuff. Um, Bruna, thank you so much for joining me today for a very interesting episode. And uh, I hope that it will inspire some uh, translators of the French Language Division to take a look, closer look at genealogy. I certainly will be uh, checking out my family tree on the websites you provided, which will be also listed um, on this episode's write up on the website. Great. Thank you so much for your time. Um, Thank you. Uh, This concludes our episode for today. This podcast is produced by the French Language Division of the American Translators Association. Our current administrator is Yvoudou. Our current assistant administrator is Jen Mercer. You can subscribe to the Continuing Education Series podcast on SoundCloud at SoundCloud.com forward slash ATA FLD or on iTunes by searching for the words Continuing Education Series in the iTunes Store. You can contact the FLG at FLD at divisionfld at ATA Let's do that one again. Divisionfld at atanet.org. Visit our website at www.ata-divisions.org forward slash FLD with the letters FLB in uppercase, or you can get in touch with us on social media. This is Angela Benoit signing off. Thanks for listening, and à bientôt.